0: Nobody
1: questions things in this country anymore. Nobody wants to rock the boat. It's all bullshit, folks. It's all bullshit, and it's bad for you. But we believe them because they're pounded into our heads from the time we're children. Children should be taught to question everything. To question everything,
2: they read, everything they hear.
0: Welcome to Question Culture with Brian and Lornette. This is a biweekly podcast where each episode, Lornette and I will be discussing and questioning conventional wisdom about a topic we believe is important. On this episode, we'll be continuing our discussion on abortion and women's reproductive rights. And for this portion, we have a very special guest. She's an activist, musician, journalist, podcaster, filmmaker, and all-around badass, Eleanor Goldfield. How are you, Eleanor? Thanks for coming on.
1: I'm good. Thanks so much for having me.
0: And as always, joined by my co-host, Lornette. How's it going, buddy?
2: Hey, how's it going? Brian, um, uh, Lornette Vestal here. Uh, check me out at the, the L- Evolving Man LBV on Twitter and check out the um, uh, Evolving Man website. And also feel free to check out my me and my lovely wife, Bernita Haynes, uh, debut novel, *Even the Faders, and the sequel is coming soon, soon, soon. Um, and also I want to say special shout out to Eleanor. Thanks for um, joining us today to have a discussion about a topic that is isn't is uh, isn't always easy to talk about in public. Uh, so thank you for uh, coming here and, and sharing your story and uh, chopping it up with two, two knuckleheads like us. <laughs>
1: <laughs> for sure. Thanks for inviting me.
0: Yeah, so I thought um, what re- originally happened was Lornette and I kind of saw the news about Texas passing some new, very restrictive, basically banning abortion um, and so it got us thinking about a topic uh, to, for the episode. And while we were doing that, um, I saw that you post, Eleanor, that you posted on social media. I think it was called Shout Your Abortion, where it was women were sharing their personal abor- abortion stories. Why did you have the urge to, to put your yeah. own story on there and share that like that?
1: Yeah, so uh, pretty simply, I think that um, as as a woman, as someone who can get pregnant, uh, it's always been very important to me that I, that it's my choice. Um, <clears throat> it's my choice who I choose to be intimate with on that level. Um, and it's my choice, what happens afterwards. Um, and this is something that really should not be controversial. <laughs> um, what? As the,
2: it, sh- it, sh- it shouldn't be controversial
1: <laughs> as the, as the saying goes, if guys could get pregnant, you could get abortions at CVS. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> <For sure>. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, and so it was important to me to share because I think a lot of people not only feel that there's a taboo around it, but a lot of people feel like. Oh well, if that's something that I want to do, then I'm a bad person. If it's something that I want to have as an option, I'm a bad person. If I've done it, I'm a bad person. Um, and also uh, pigeonholing the abortion experience—that it's either you know always such a traumatic experience for the person, uh, or that it's or that we're just like these flippant witches who are like, let's kill babies. Um, <laughs> and, I've, and I and I also wanted to point out that uh, that I was writing this as someone who's pregnant. Uh, I'm currently nine months pregnant. Okay, um,
0: congratulations. congratulations.
1: Thank yeah. you. So if I, if I just disappear during this, that's why.
2: <laughs> okay. All right, um, we, we won't hold that against you, <laughs> All right,
1: so. But uh, no, I felt Ellen that it was really important to, to make the connection between those reproductive uh, rights issues because I'm pregnant today because I had an abortion. Uh, in my early 20s and had I not had access to that health care then I would not be able to make the decision to actually be a parent and I would let me make it very clear I would not have been a parent then Um, you can never outlaw abortion the only thing that you can do is outlaw safe abortion we have and we will always take control of our own bodies so the only thing that you can make illegal is access to safety. Um, and that's the really mm-hmm. twisted part that people don't talk enough about. Um, and so I felt that it was important for me as somebody who feels comfortable sharing that story uh, to to go out and do that publicly, uh, perhaps to make it easier for folks uh, who, who have stories to share, or just to make it easier for folks to both understand or to grapple with their own journeys and their own decisions.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm really happy that you had the courage to do it because I do think, and, and not just abortion, but in other ways, people a lot of times in this world just suffer in silence because they think they're alone in whatever they're doing. Um, I kind of compare, and when we did the first part of the episode on abortion, I kind of compared it to with like illegal drugs, like the stigma behind it, like, you know, everyone's afraid to lose their job or just even talk about it. So no one talks about it. Everyone just sits in silence. But then the stigma never really goes away. So it takes people to be open about, you know, have the courage to be open about these things to kind of you know, get things to start changing and to kind of break down the stigma. exactly. Um, And I'm happy, I'm happy to that you brought up, you know, the different experience that women have for this too, because it's not all, you know, the same for every woman. And so it's important to remember that. And I, you know, I, it's important too, to remember, because I think there is this thing that like, you know, women have an abortion, they just don't like babies and are like killing babies. But as we talked about in the first part of the episode, I think it was stat was something like around 60% of women who have abortion are already mothers. So it's not like, you know, these are just like women who just like hate kids. And you know, it's not like that. It's, you know, everyone has their own reason for why. Exactly. Um, and but, I think uh,
1: it's also important to point out that um, it, it, it shouldn't matter whether the person has two kids already or will never have any children. Uh, You are correct that uh, most who do have an abortion uh, either are already parents or go on to become parents, uh, but that should have no bearing on on the issue at all. And also, um, you know, I know I made the joke like, oh, we just love to kill babies, but like making the distinction between a baby, you know, that you like go and hold and, you know, dress in weird clothing and all that stuff and like a cluster of cells. Um, I think that's, that's a very important distinction to make.
0: Absolutely. When we were doing the research for the episode too, I actually, cause I was reading a lot about the heartbeat laws and I'd never really looked into the science of that, but those heartbeat laws, like cells start pulsating, but it's not even a fully formed heart. So you're right. It's a clump of cells that in no way can, and medically, you know, they're not considered alive until they can survive on their own. So it's, it's just such a weird, like warp, like pseudoscience, um, to try and, I don't know, just justify these weird beliefs and just controlling women and not allowing access to healthcare.
1: And it's but- also really twisted in the sense that, you know, I don't use the term pro-life because to me, pro-life suggests that you are pro-life and if you were then you would pay for things like childcare, and you'd pay for things like universal health care exactly. and you wouldn't spend trillions of dollars on bombing children every year
2: right. <laughs> you exactly. can't
1: actually hold both of these perspectives what you are is that you are anti-woman and you are for the control of our bodies, for the sake of being broodmares for capitalism, for patriarchy, for white supremacy, you know, name the things that the, the tenants of this country, uh, that's what you're pro, you are certainly not pro-life.
0: Exactly, I, I yeah. talked, I, go ahead, Lorna. No, we, we
2: discussed this on our uh, the podcast that will part one of this podcast. And I, I did some research. Obviously, Brian and I are identifiably male, um, so this is not something that we've had to think about, um, unless you know, in our personal relationships with individuals who we couldn't get pregnant or have gotten pregnant. But that's all another topic for another time. Um, but I didn't, I didn't know some of the really, screwed of history around like how it became illegal and how like an institution like the Medical American, a medical American Medical Association was involved with it, and it was kind of to. They keep keep women in their place, you know, especially upper middle class, educated white women. So, let's at that time, it's the 1940s, and well, 1930s and 40s, and then also and it was um, around maintaining um, upper crusted white numbers, um, and also like we can't let these darker people come to our country and and, and keep breeding. So the racism in that, also the, the sexism in that, and also another reason, the medical American Medical Association was um, pro, for uh, making abortion illegal and advocated for it, was also to keep the male doctors, the white male doctors didn't want competition from from women doctors. So, so all these things, racism, sexism, capitalism, uh, even though they'll be the first ones to tell you as a, a libertarian white guy, like capitalism is all about competition. <laughs> you all forced laws that impacted half the uh, population because you didn't want competition apparently.
1: Exactly.
0: Yeah. And I agree with you. I, I catch myself saying pro-life, but I hate it. Like I hate when I see, you know, people at like an, abor- at a, like Planned Parenthood or something like yelling at women going in to get healthcare. And it's like, if you're so pro-life, why don't you go, fo- you know, start a foster home, adopt some kids, get right. involved in the medical industry that, you know, there's infant mortality that's crazy high in places, you know, states where abortion's legal. So why don't you actually do something pro-life instead of just yelling at women trying to get healthcare? It's yep. crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, but for you personally, and, you know, feel free to answer this as much as you're comfortable with it. When you decided to have an abortion, did you share that, that you were doing that with anyone close to you? Did, did you, was there part of it that was hard for you, either getting access or anything like that?
1: Um, I shared it with my, uh, with well, obviously with my partner um, at the time. Um, and that was rough because he didn't want me to have an abortion. Um, but we were, our relationship was doomed <laughs> and I could see it. And he was like, no, 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 no. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it was just like everything about it was wrong. It was the wrong place, the wrong time, uh, the wrong person. Uh, and I just realized that there was no way that I could actually be a, a, a parent, the kind of parent that I want to be. Um, and I didn't feel comfortable with the prospect of growing a human just to hand it over to the state, particularly not this state, (laughs) um, maybe if I lived in some utopian wonderland, but, um, as as
2: someone who was a a former foster child in, in the, in the actual system, um, it is not, it's not something I would wish on any child, not to say that there aren't decent foster homes, but, um, if you're in a bad foster home, uh. I was one of the lucky ones. I I know, I know other people who experienced it that it went through the system and I never been sexually abused. Um, Other types of abuse has happened to me in foster care when I was a child, um, which shaped my parents um, thoughts about having children and not having children. But um, it's, I was, and I consider myself the lucky one. Um, So it's not, it's not something you want um, for a child.
0: That's what's crazy to me too, about people who want to ban abortion. It's like, so you, you'll have all these situations, like not all these situations, but it it will happen then where kid will be born to like, you want kids to be born into families that don't want them or be put into a system that's already, you know, can't handle what's going on. So it just makes no sense. Um, Eleanor, were you in a state where you could get an abortion in state? I mean, Lornette shared a story with his friend where she was in Georgia and had to drive all the way up to New York and luckily had the money to do so. But you know, not everyone can do that. Were you in a state where you had access at least?
1: Yeah. So I, I, I would consider myself very lucky. Um, I, I was in California at the time, which is probably the best state to be in, in this situation. Um, and I also was uh, privileged enough to have uh, healthcare through my job at the time. Um, I worked in a recording studio and I, I had access to, to healthcare and I had a great doctor who was very uh, understanding and very like supportive And so the only thing that was, you know, frustrating was the time that it took uh, to in order to to have it done. Um, But in terms of like the the I mean, there was some physical pain, um, but there was in terms of mental, the the real like anguish side of it was really the the what it did to my um, my relationship with my partner and how he treated me uh, with regards to the abortion. Um, but the abortion itself was not traumatic at all for me, um, and it really wasn't, it wasn't a, a something that I th- even really agonized over. For me, it was a very easy decision uh, because, again, everything about the situation was wrong. Um, and I, and I want to point out, too, that uh, that I also did have uh, I know that a lot of um, a lot of people fall into these situations because they don't have access to birth control. Um, I did have access, but it failed. Um, and I think it's also important to point out that that happens too. So even for someone who, who like myself at that time was privileged and had birth control, um, it fails. It't <laughs> <So>, always work <laughs> So I think it's also you mean the important pull out to what,
2: point what? you mean guys, guys who think the pull out method
0: works Does not work what? There's a, what? There's a good the joke.
1: what do you call what do you call people who use the pullout method? You call them parents. <laughs> <laughs> uh you might as well just pray over a crystal or something you know i mean Prayer prayer works
2: hallelujah
1: so so yeah i i mean i i was surprised uh unfortunately i'm just incredibly fertile so uh my body was like my my body found a window and it was like let's go and i was like i'm not on board um so so yeah it was for me it was not a difficult decision. And, um, luckily I did have good access to that healthcare. And, um, and that of course made, made a huge difference with my continuing, um, my continuing overall health, uh, including, uh, you know, later, uh, later that year, or the year after, um, I was diagnosed with cervical cancer and that was a huge, like, you know, that's also part of reproductive health, of course. Yeah. Um. And the fact that I had had access to that abortion was huge uh, in terms of my overall health as well. So, yeah, a, I mean, I was very lucky in my geographical location. Yeah. Oh, my
0: God. I didn't know you had cancer like that either. I assume you beat it considering you're here talking to us. But that's awesome. Yep.
2: <laughs> um, you beat Yeah. You th- yeah. I'm glad, yeah, We're glad you're, you had a speedy or had a... A healthy recovery.
1: Yeah, me too. And I do
0: think it's important. We touched on this a little bit, but I do think you know I I think especially for guys we kind of just think like oh woman you know she gets pregnant and and has a baby it pops out and that's it and we kind of forget that like women have to go to gynecologists and it's not you know it's an ongoing health thing women's you know reproductive health it's not like a you know you just you get pregnant you pop it out and you're done it's not you know it's your entire life you're visiting a special doctor just for it and so it's it's really like an ongoing health issue, not just like a one-time event kind of thing, you know? Exactly. Um, Yeah. there's so many,
1: sorry, go ahead. (laughs)
2: No, I was just saying, has my wife always says, you know? (laughs) (laughs)
1: Um, Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, I, I think that this sort of holistic perspective is super important too, that we look at not just reproductive health in terms of Um, Like like care from an OBGYN, but also how that affects like overall health, because obviously, you know, having an abortion affects your body, (laughs) not just like this (laughs) little area. Um, And, you know, having cervical cancer, being pregnant, like all of the things that are specifically reproductive, you know, based affect your body as a whole, because guess what kind of like ecosystems on planet earth, it's all connected. (laughs) So when Mm -hmm, you, when you, like, when you mess with one part uh, it affects all the other parts. Um, And so I think that that's also really important with regards to, to talking about reproductive health is that like, it's not like a niche thing that has to do with just like one part of your body. It really is a holistic thing that involves not just your physical body, but your emotional and mental health as well.
0: And just the millionth reason that we need Medicare for all or mm-hmm. universal health Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Well, and one thing when we were so I when I was doing research for this episode, I was kind of surprised, as Lornette mentioned, a lot of what originally why abortion became illegal in like the late 1800s had to do with, like you mentioned, racism, capitalism. Um, I had assumed that religion was kind of the original thing, but that really didn't come about till later in like the mid 1900s. But now it kind of seems like that's the main, like every, like most people I I have talked to who, you know, claim to be pro-life as so-called pro-life. It's kind of like something that they learn in church or is like a religious thing. Do, I don't know, like Eleanor, have you ever been to any like pro-choice rallies or anything? Have you ever interacted with people? Do you think like getting rid of the stigma from religion is kind of like the current battle we're going to have with this? Um, Or will that just kind of, is that secondary to compare to like fighting in the courts?
1: You know, I think it's, um, it reminds me of the battle about the Confederate statues, My father's a historian and specializes in the period from the Civil War through the Civil Rights. And he's been asked to come on a bunch of different um, TV and news shows in the past few years to talk about this, basically to remind people that these were not put up after the Civil War to commemorate generals. They were put up in the early 1900s to tell uh, Black people, this is your place. Remember it or some shit will go down. And I feel like so it's really like it's a, it's a symbol. People are using abortion as a symbol for religion, but really it's you know it's it's choose your own adventure. If the religion aspect wasn't there, weren't there, it would be something else. the The core issue is the control. It is the control and like the patriarchal violence of it. And so, because I mean, I'm I'm I myself am Jewish by birth, but atheist by choice. But there are so many amazing human beings that are religious, yeah. right? That have, uh, have like a spiritual faith, faith that's grounded in some of the same aspects that are used to battle against women, to battle against uh, you know, equal rights and things like that. But to say that if you just got rid of religion or if you just changed that, uh, that, that paradigm, then you would fix the abortion problem. That's, that's, that's simplifying it too much. Because really, it doesn't have anything to do with religion. That's just like the you know the flavor of the month or the flavor of this decade or you know however our age. Uh, but again, I mean, it would be, it would be something else. You know, they'd they'd argue like they do with. Uh, with with clinics that oh it's a health it's a health risk when in reality it's safer to have an abortion than literally to get a shot of penicillin statistically speaking far safer than giving birth um but i think you know i i, I think that yes religion has a really rough history with women particularly uh, the big yeah. three. Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, like, I'm not going to sugarcoat that. Um, You know, as a Jew, I've got, like, I've got a lot to say about Judaism (laughs) and and women. Um, But I think that also just talking about that, it oversimplifies it and and pulls us away from really the main focus, which is this violent control over our bodies.
0: Yeah. I I like what you said about the statues too, though, because I've had that argument come up, and I have my degree in history, and I was like, never, not once over the entire course of getting my degree, did we go and look at this statue. (laughs) You know, like statues have (laughs) nothing to do with like learning history; like that comes from books. (laughs) Exactly, in all
2: traditions, not just like, oh, look at this statue. It's right. It's in like a southern heritage. If I someone who moved from Chicago to the South in Atlanta, Georgia, I mean, we're right next to Stone Mountain. it's basically a, a state park that's a Confederate monument, and people are like, "That's our heritage." And it's like, "Why do you want that to be part of your heritage?" Especially when the Confederacy lost. And what's really, really the mind fuck is the, the 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 Patriot Bros who are like, "I got my Confederate flag," and you are like, "But I love America." It's like, "But the Confederacy succeeded <laughs> from the United States." Um. So what?
1: Yeah, yeah. it's very confusing, and it's also like. Like you said, Brian, like the, the statues are just about what you pedestal and what you look up to. Uh, so they're not how you learn history. Right. <laughs> um, and so, you know, it's really just, oh, okay, you're just telling me that what you value is this horrific, racist, piece of shit human being Okay, mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> I right. mean right. I
1: mean, like it's, it's and, it, and it's valid because that is, you know, the, the US is built on genocide and the enslavement of millions of people. So it's like, that's true, um, but it's like true. of all the people and then uh, Lee Camp, comedian Lee Camp has a good line about how there are far more uh, famous horses than there are women because all of these assholes are riding horses. <laughs> and the, they're, they're like, no statues to women who did cool shit, but yeah. these horses get literally a pedestal to hold up some old dead white asshole and that's somehow more important than you know people of color, indigenous, black, brown, women, like. <laughs> but that these is, horses, we gotta we gotta keep them up there.
0: That is so hilariously true because, like, I'm from Chicago, so I'm thinking like off memory. Yeah, I can think of several statues that are horses, but I can't think of a single one that's a, you know a woman or. Oh my god, it's funny. I also use the like example to like. Like, if you're from the South, there's plenty, th- plenty of things about Southern heritage that you can be proud of that isn't the Confederacy like I'm German, but I'm not going to be like, yeah, the Nazis like that was my that's my heritage, you know, <laughs> it's like I pick something that's cool, you know, not something fucking horrific. But, um, well, and I wanted to ask you to so the reason we chose this topic is because I was reading about the laws being passed in Texas and I think in Mississippi too. I was reading about Are we, are Lornette and I paranoid to think that they might start to try to overturn Roe v. Wade in the coming months? Because, I mean, they're stacking courts with conservative judges and they're passing all these laws. So are we paranoid for thinking that or?
1: No, no, I don't think you're paranoid at all. Um, And I would just like to point out that. One of the things that Democrats and you know, fans of the Democrats like to point out every time there's an election and every time there's like, is that, oh, if we, don't, if we don't vote for the Democrats, then you're gonna lose abortion access. Okay, well, we're losing it anyway, first of all. And second of all, at any point since Roe v Wade was passed, the Democrats could have codified that into law at any point where they control, controlled congress they could have passed that into law but they chose not to because it is far better it is far better to hold that over the heads of electors of, of people who uh, you know go to the polls than lose that as a bargaining chip you know that's no fun to lose that as a bargaining chip then people literally have no reason to vote for you because you're exactly the same as the republicans <laughs> So I want to point that out that Roe v. Wade does not have doesn't necessarily have to have hung in the balance of the Supreme Court, which, by the way, the Supreme Court is rather infamous infamous uh, for being late to the game on progressive issues because exactly. they're just sitting there for life doing nothing but getting old and out of touch. Um, so I don't think you're paranoid at all, um, but I think that we also need to be clear about what, like, what is actually still, like, held sacred in Roe v. Wade, and the fact that all of these loopholes have been, like, punched into Roe v. Wade, I think we should aim for something better. I think we should aim for an actual law that says that this is something that you can't, you can't just fuck with every four or eight years when you want to fuck with the Supreme Court. You can't just add all these loopholes. Like that needs to be in law, like no more, no more vague BS. Uh, So I think that's something that we should shoot for, as opposed to continuing to try and like keep this leaking ship of Roe v. Wade afloat.
0: So was Roe v. Wade, I mean, from what I read, Roe v. Wade basically said that the a woman has a right to privacy with her medical care, and then also that the you know limit the government, you know, role of government in it. So, I guess I don't understand. So, it's not a law. I guess I don't understand then. So, Roe v. Wade isn't it's just basically a law, lo- it's not a law. It's just saying that basically the woman has a right to privacy. So, what she can't get sued, or, or
1: well, no, it's, it's also saying that she has a right to, to access abortion right which okay. is where you get these loopholes because they you know they'll shut oh, down okay. all of the clinics in Texas except for one and they're like well then just drive to you know 700 miles to that other one
0: <laughs> right um, right that's
1: accessible uh and so basically what what i mean when i talk about putting it into law is saying that it is a part of you know it is a part of the healthcare system that like i have a right to you know to go to the doctor and you know get a checkup or you know whatever like it, that it's a part right. of our overall healthcare system which is not really a healthcare system but that's a different uh, that's a different story of course very connected but the idea of reproductive rights and the holistic approach to reproductive rights, which includes abortion, needs to be law and not something that can shift based on a Supreme Court decision. A Supreme Court decision is basically a precedent, um, and it doesn't it doesn't necessarily have to stay that way, right? So I think like this sort of this sort of back and forth and this malleability that puts so many people's lives at risk and so many uh, and, and, and so much uh, unnecessary pain and suffering could really be avoided by making this a legitimate, like, steadfast law that would be a lot more difficult to fuck with than this continued fucking with of Roe v. Wade, which has been fucked with since it like came up. Exactly. That's
0: what I. That's what I was kind of surprised about how.
1: Even even like
0: immediately after Roe v. Wade, like many women have been arrested for you know, abortion because of the abortion laws in their state. And it, I, I kind of compared it to like when, you know, when, you know, racists or people who are against civil rights, they're like, well, you know, why are they complaining? Slavery ended in 1865 as as if once the Civil War ended, then everything was just great after that. And it's kind of it the same. with It was, Brian. And then <laughs>
2: yeah. for some reason, 100 years later, Martin Luther King had to give a speech and it was a whole civil rights movement. Um, but you know, and then a few years after that, there was a black lives movement. So black lives matter movement, but racism was over. We elected Obama,
0: everything we're done. We can go home. Yeah. So, but it was kind of the same thing with Roe v. Wade, where it wasn't like Roe v. Wade happened. And then, you know, women's healthcare was just like, perfect. There was still like issues going on even immediately after. And you're right. If there was some kind of law on a federal level, it would help too. It's just so crazy to me that like, Basically, the luck of where you're born, what state you're in, can define if you have access. And it's just crazy to that it's like that. Yeah, And um, I think the
2: political leaders use it, as, as they always have, as a political football. And I think mm-hmm. the problem right now is we're dealing with, um, with the rise of Trumpism and economic insecurity and just kind of all these things coming together, climate crisis, we're, we're leaning towards these far-right folks who are gaining power, not just in the United States, but across the world, who are true believers, and they they want things to go back to some weird, warped version of um, the old, good old days, and when, when the people of color were in their place and women were in their place, barefoot, pregnant, in the kitchen. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and, and that's what they want. And, and we all live in a thio- theocracy. So, you know, mm-hmm. whatever chosen God of that, you know, in the United States will be Jesus. So, Anybody who's not would be, you know, locked up or something like that. If they have
1: Jesus that. and the dollar.
2: Jesus and the dollar. The real God is
1: dollar,
0: right? <laughs> <laughs> so, on this podcast, you know, we start off by kind of talking about the ills of society, and then, but we always like to end on solutions and things that everyone can do to kind of improve. And so, it seems like we're going backwards in a lot of ways with. Women's reproductive rights and healthcare. Eleanor, what do you think are some solutions? What are some things we can do, whether it be activism? What can we all do to kind of get things going back in the right direction?
1: Well, I think uh, there are some great, I mean, there are, are phenomenal organizations that are working on ensuring that people have access to reproductive health. Um, and you know, particularly after what happened in Texas, there was just like a slew, and I and I covered it on um, my podcast, Common Censored with Lee Camp. I like sat there for like five minutes and just read off organizations that were doing amazing work, and you know, doing things like paying uh, for for travel because that had then become more much more expensive because Texas is a stupidly large state, um, and so uh, you know, there are really amazing folks doing this work like on underground uh, that people can donate to or at least uplift and let people know that they're available in case there are people who feel really stuck and don't know where to turn. Uh, they can turn to these these organizations. Um, and I'm sorry, I don't know. If, I can't remember any offhand because I am shit with names. <laughs> uh, but uh, there is a Common Censored episode about that. And also if you if you look it up uh, online, you'll definitely find, uh, find answers to those, uh, to those questions. I think another thing is uh, really just having these conversations. Um, you know, it's kind of, it's like any other difficult conversation, you know, like the, the conversation of Zionism and Jewish families, the conversation, conversation of racism and white families, um, it can get uncomfortable but that that discomfort is where change happens. You know, uh, it's like the classic scientist saying that like evolution never happened because, you know, beings were comfortable. Uh, evolution happened because things were uncomfortable and there was a, a push to change. And it's the same with social issues. Uh, so, you know, being in community with people and talking about it, like whether that is, you know, at a church that happens to use religion as a facade to, uh, to uphold violent patriarchy or whether that's in, uh, you know, a community space. Um, you know, whatever the case may be, having these conversations and, you know, <laughs> they can it can feel slow, uh, but it's slow and steady. And this is where this is where change happens and it change. It change happens in conversations with people. It doesn't change because somebody signed a bill. Uh, nobody ever changed their mind <laughs> because something got signed into law. Um, and I think that, you know, there are people who advocate inside of electoral politics. And I think that that's really important as well w- in, with regards to this issue. I think that it absolutely needs to be tied to larger issues of universal health care. Um, and I would caution folks that only work on reproductive rights that the longer we sit in our silos, the longer we continue to lose uh, because nobody lives a single issue life. These are not single issues. You can't have yeah. reproductive health care unless you have universal health care, because how the hell am I going to pay for my reproductive health care if I'm, you know, a homeless woman? Um, so I think that you know these conversations need to be had together, and these fights need to be fought together. Um, and at the same time, while we're fighting, again, we need to build. We need to build alternatives, uh, like you know these organizations that I mentioned are, uh, whether that be you know people. Um, making sure that clinics are operating, even if they have to operate illegally, you know, um, and making sure that people have access to the health care that they need, even if it flies in the face of convention. Uh, so I think that, you know, there are so many different ways that people can support and uh, uplift this issue. But I think one of the easiest ways is just to be vocal about it, you know, be vocal and get comfortable with being uncomfortable.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a super important message, because it is crazy, you know, and it it starts with your friends and family. And it is wild, like I've learned even in my adult life, things that you never thought in a million years would change, do change if you like you said, it's just kind of slow and steady. Like, for example, my dad, his entire life had voted for Republicans. But I just started, you know, just having conversation, conversation. Now, the last two elections, he's voted third party and doesn't seem like he's voting for Republicans. And I never thought, you know, something like that would happen. So those small, small conversations do make a huge difference. And I do like that you pointed out too how this issue is connected to other issues. And it is, I'm happy that I'm seeing like growing word about like, you know, people trying to organize general strikes. And I've been doing some work with Extinction Rebellion, and I like that group because although it's an environmental activist organization, they do connect indigenous rights and, and that kind of stuff because the stuff is all connected. So my hope is that all these formally isolated activist groups start working together because it is all, you know, all connected, like you said.
2: Yeah, and, and I think um, one thing, Eleanor, and I, I would like to ask you this and just get your thoughts on it. One, uh, one other solution is perhaps uh, comprehensive comprehensive sexual education, um, not just taught in schools, but hopefully by, you know, parents and stuff, and you know, realize that their kids are, are adults, and we I mean, will one day be adults, and will probably, you know, have sex like the vast majority of people, um, except <laughs> with the exception <laughs> of asexual people, so I want to be inclusive here. Um, so what role do you think that, will, that could play in a, a solution to uh, have folks um, break down some of the things we talked about, the stigma around it, uh, understand how... Because uh, as men, we we don't understand the biology of half the species, if, if we want to be honest, unless, unless you're like a biology major or a doctor. Or
1: <laughs> you know, I'm really dog. glad that you brought that up because I think that that's a really important point. As someone who was educated both in North Carolina and in Sweden, um, I had very different educational experiences. And perhaps one of the most stark ones was um, uh, sex ed. Uh, and... <laughs> And I mean in the in the US, I mean, particularly in the South, although I never went to school like in the north or out west, it science. was basi- it was basically like, let me show you all of the STDs you're gonna get if you even pretend to like drop your pants in front of someone you like. <laughs> and then just don't do it until God says it's okay. okay. <laughs> um I, and <laughs> I,
2: I always think of mean girls with the gym teachers doing sex things like <laughs> if you have sex, you'll get pregnant and die. And totally, totally. That's what I remember from when I was in high school. We had sex ed. It's like, you're gonna die. And you're like, oh, wow. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And meanwhile, when I went to school in Sweden, we were talking about like oral sex, we were talking about anal sex, we were talking about consent, we were talking about having multiple partners and how to be safe about it. Wow. It was actually sex ed, like as if sex were something fun that you were going to do anyway. And here's how to be safe about it. Here's how to be respectful. Here's how to make sure that we're, you know, highlighting consent. It was basically like, like you said, Lorna, like how to be a fucking adult about it. Um, And I think that, uh, you know, just uh, like, I, I think that that's a huge issue. And also, you know, the fact that every year in this country, thousands of teenagers get pregnant without knowing what happened. They don't understand because they never learned what like how pregnancy works which is fucking mortifying and it's horrible that that you could have something like that happen to your body and not even understand what's going on i mean there are people i mean there are people who get their periods and they don't understand what that is um and i mean even for somebody who knows what that is i was the first time i was still like what the fuck (laughs) <laughs> um, so even if you know what it is, you're still like, this is crazy pants. I'm going to do this every month for the rest of my life. Shit. Um, so I think like that education is super important. And I really do look at that as like part of the overall, you know, like, uh, access to healthcare, uh, is, you know, preventative, Right. Whether that be yeah. like, this is how to, to eat right and exercise so you don't have a heart attack, which, you know, is another thing that the US leads the world on. is like, we're number
2: you know, one, heart baby. Problems. <laughs>
1: um, so I think like it's, it's no secret and it's no uh, surprise, really, that the US is so shitty and things like, you know, maternal mortality, for instance, here in DC leads the nation in maternal mortality, literally statistically, um, predominantly black and brown women here have a higher likelihood of dying in childbirth than women in Iraq do.
0: Jesus Christ!
1: Wow, that's embarrassing as shit. Yeah. And it all stems from the like this com- combination of lack of access to education, lack of access to healthcare, because most of these people are high risk because they've never had access to healthcare. Um, so I think you know all of this is combined, is tied together, um, and the fact that there's this puritanical perspective on sex where it has to be something that you do only for the sake of childbearing. Um, is is really really twisted and is really uh, is really torturing, and I don't use that word lightly, but torturing so many women in this country, vis a vis the the lack of education and access to reproductive health care.
0: Yes,
2: no, you.
1: That's
0: you're, a real-
2: That's well said. <laughs>
0: Yeah, that's a really good point, because I guess I was even just thinking it of what we can do from perspective of like activism and courtrooms and stuff. But in school would be another good place because you guys are right. Looking back on it, they divided I was in a public school and they divided us into boys and girls. We went into separate rooms. Boys learned about boys, girls learned about girls. And that was it. I didn't never learned anything about, you know, any kind of sexual behavior from the girl's side. So it's just kind of crazy how fucked up that was looking back on it now.
2: Yeah, and I also think if you have a child, you know, that you're responsible to like teach that child. I mean, my mom was very Chicago and kind of vulgar, but she would tell me and my brothers, no glove, no love. Um, but, you know, <laughs> that was her very, you know, um, Chicago way of basically teaching us about safe sex and like. You don't want to bring it, and I I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to be a grandma right now. So, like, you know, wrap it up. And and I wasn't cool (laughs) in high school, so I I didn't have a girlfriend. So you have to worry about me getting anybody (laughs) pregnant. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing was my right hand, so uh, (laughs) I I was a late bloomer. So um, I think that also is, and it's really ridiculous when I come across parents, especially as I'm older now, and it's just like, I don't imagine my kids having sex, and it's like, well, they're teenagers.
0: Yeah, it's like I get your head out of the sand.
2: Never, we all were teenagers, and for the most part, t- teenagers are full of hormones and they can't keep their hands off each other. And this is coming mm-hmm. from someone who worked in high school. Like, you know, I'm like pulling kids apart. I'm, like, look here, like you know, <laughs> go behind, go home, and like do this, don't study, don't do this in the hallway, <laughs> everybody, <laughs> Jesus. You know, you guys that's, the,
1: that's the other thing too is that like nobody certainly nobody talks about masturbation and like that that's a really good thing to do if you can't or you know are, are not going to be having sex yeah. and that is just never discussed and so I mean it was discussed in my in my home probably I mean people would probably say it's like oh because your mom's Swedish um <laughs> but, and maybe yeah <laughs> but I mean it was just like this 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 is so ridiculous that that's not even discussed and like how to learn about your own body, because that's how you also learn about your boundaries and your feelings about consent so that you can then communicate that to another human being. Should you engage with another human being?
0: Very true. Very true. All right, Eleanor. Well, um, if you could please let people know about um, you know, just where to follow you. Um, for those that don't know, you have a podcast common Censored. That's absolutely amazing. Definitely check that out. And I really loved your documentary that you did hard, hard road of hope. Um, actually, if you wouldn't mind, if you have a man, could you just tell us what motivated you to make a documentary about that? It's it's for those that don't know, it's basically about, you know, what's mine mining has done to the people of West Virginia and the environment. What kind of motivated you to do documentary about that?
1: Um, well, it, it was, uh, I was going down there um, to cover some of the frontline fights against not just coal, but also fracking because West Virginia is a, in an interesting uh, like transition period from coal to fracking because contrary to what politicians, even at the recent COP26 was, would say, um, coal's dead. There's just not, as one as one um, former miner said, he's like, you're literally just scraping the last of the peanut butter from the peanut butter jar. Like, we've been mining those mountains for generations. Like, there's just not much more it can give. Um, and yet, you know, th- there continue to be these massive coal subsidies, and we got to protect coal and save coal and ah, da 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 da. But in the reality of the situation, there's a transition happening where coal is dying and fracking is on the rise. So you see coal mining predominantly in the southern parts of West Virginia, and then you see fracking in the in the in the center of the state. And you know West Virginia was founded as a resource as a resource colony, and it remains a resource colony to this day. Um, And so I went down there just to get you know a few stories, and then I realized oh shit I've got oodles, (laughs) and um, I guess I'll do what people call a documentary because I have all this footage and all of these stories. Um, and I felt that the really the only way to do justice to the people who had taken time and shared their stories with me was to do a longer form piece. So um, that's that's where that idea came from. And it, and it just felt really important, not just to highlight the suffering, but, uh, you know, kind of what y'all were talking about, like, it's important to talk about solutions and it's important to talk about the people who are doing radical work to protect their home place, uh, to protect ecosystems. And so that's a, that's a really important part of the film as well. And so, um, I felt, I felt it was necessary to, to put it out there.
0: Well, I really appreciate it. We're definitely going to share it on our social media. Everyone should check it out. It's amazing. Um, any other what's your social media? Where can people find you?
1: Um, so I'm on Twitter at radical Eleanor. You can find my work at artkillingapathy.com. That that'll include a link to the the film's website. It includes link to uh, my music. I should have some vinyl ready to ship soon, so that that'll be cool uh, for those old school analog geeks like me. <laughs> um, and it a- is actually analog did pass through a tape machine so it's not just some bullshit digital that I put on vinyl so for all of you who are about to get all snippy with me calm yeah, down the
0: hipster crowd
1: yeah <laughs> it is actually analog um
0: well that's so, supposedly still the best quality music right from, from oh, it, a hundred
1: percent I yeah. mean I, mm-hmm. I I worked in recording studios in LA and when I was 18 I learned how to um how to work a tape machine and I, I just remember looking at my boss and I was like what the fuck this is amazing and he was like yeah yeah tell 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 your generation <laughs> so i've been trying to tell my generation since that day we're the so kind
2: generation we get we got the auto tune, so I, I don't know but <laughs> we got the hipsters that revive under our generation so they're like Ugh. keeping it real <laughs> in a very smug way no nah, i can't <laughs> i kept the hipsters right read this my wife this <laughs> to our podcast and, and i want to i have a beard I, I use beard oil i drink ipas uh, I'm, a, I'm a
0: black hipster so
1: you're not wearing suspenders though so i'm not wearing yeah. I, I, no that's
0: and your mustache doesn't have a little curlies so uh, yeah. on well no, i'll grow it
2: out but it's um,
0: and then my wife will complain so
2: i have to shave it all
0: right well eleanor i can't thank you enough for coming on our little podcast it was super important what you had to say. And I really, really appreciate you taking the time to it, especially when you were nine months pregnant. Yeah. <laughs> it's awesome that please uh, just keep doing whatever you can to stay healthy and happy and keep putting out the work like you are, because it's very important. And, and we love hearing from you. Um, thank you, Lornette. Thanks, everyone for listening. If you're interested in learning more about this topic, follow us on Facebook at Q culture and Twitter at Q culture. Uh, that's Q U E culture. Uh, there we post the links to the documentaries, books and articles we mentioned on each episode. Don't forget to check out Lornette's blog, The Evolving Man Project, his book, Even the Faders. And if you're in the mood for some U.S. history, check out our monthly hit history edition episodes with the two of us and my brother, Steve. Thanks again, everyone, for listening. And remember to question everything. Everything. Or opinions expressed on this podcast belong solely to Brian and Larnett or their guests and do not represent those of people, institutions, or organizations that Brian and Larnett or their guests may or may not be associated with in any professional or personal capacity unless explicitly stated.